You're listening to a Royal Children's Hospital Education Hub podcast. Hi, my name's Sarah Temby and I'm an Education Fellow in the RCH Education Hub. Today we have Kate Carroll, who's one of a team of five physiotherapists specialising in neuromuscular disorders at the Royal Children's Hospital. And she's been working in this area for over 20 years. The team works in a weekly neuromuscular clinic and also a research program. Today we'll be discussing calf length management in children with Duchenne muscular dystrophy or DMD. Welcome Kate. Thanks Sarah. Can you briefly remind us how DMD affects the muscles? So basically there is a missing protein called dystrophin and because of this the muscle cells are more fragile. They easily break down and they have difficulty repairing. Over time then parts of the muscles are replaced by fibrotic and fatty scar tissue which can't contract and isn't elastic in the same way that muscle is. So The widespread muscle weakness affects the way children with DMD move. So, for example, weakness at the hips and knees leads children to move their centre of gravity in front of their knees. Thereby, they take most of their weight through the balls of their feet and they're standing in a relatively plantar flexed position. So, a position of relative calf shortening. Then there's this overall picture of increasing weakness and muscle tightness and The muscle tightness is widespread, but it particularly affects key muscle groups, most of which are muscles that cross two joints. And in the lower limbs, this is the calves, hamstrings, hip flexors and TFL are also the most affected. Nearly always, however, the calf muscles are the very first to become tight. Mm, Interesting. And why is it important to manage calf length in DMD? Well, we know that everybody needs a good amount of length in their calf muscles so that they can walk, go up and down stairs and move between different positions. And what we find is when the calf muscles are tight, a child will then have difficulty with heel contact in standing and walking and they may walk on their toes. Tight calves also affect standing balance, walking, descending stairs and getting up from the floor. Because of the muscle pathology and the fact that we're dealing with children who are growing, it is important to try and prevent or at least slow down the tightening process. And this approach is consistent with the anticipatory management of muscle length that is discussed in the 2018 published standards of care for Duchenne muscular dystrophy. Mm. And what range of motion or calf length are we actually talking about? Well, we know that we need about 10 degrees of dorsiflexion for a typical or normal gait pattern. And you need at least plantar grade to be able to comfortably stand with your feet flat. So... As a general rule of thumb, what we're doing in the neuromuscular clinic here at RCH is that if we measure between 10 degrees and 0 degrees of dorsiflexion when we've got the knee extended, then we know that calf tightness is likely having some effect on mobility and function. So, for example, children might be catching their toes whilst they're walking or having difficulty descending stairs. Mm -hmm. So then if the child has less than zero degrees dorsiflexion, that is they can't get to plantar grade with their knee extended, this level of calf tightness will be impacting significantly on mobility and function. So for example, a child in this situation is likely to have difficulty getting heel contact in walking or standing. They may have difficulty even standing still and have an increased risk of falling over. And how do you measure calf length or how do you do it in the neuromuscular clinic? Uh, We use a fairly standard method. Typically, we get the child lying in supine and we measure the calf length in two different positions, so with knee flexed and knee extended. 
So as you would know, dorsiflexion with knee flexion tells us about the soleus muscle. Mm -hmm. Whilst when we have knee extended, that's telling us about length in the gastrocnemius muscle. Ideally, we have two people. And then when you're in that situation, you can have one person to position and hold the leg and foot and one to take an accurate measurement. It's also important to aim for a neutral foot alignment. So that is with what we call subtalar neutral. We use an active assisted method. So that is, we ask the child to help us with the dorsiflexion component and we give them the cue, toes towards your nose. <laughs> yeah, and that, well, it rhymes. <laughs> it does. We use a goniometer and when we're doing that, we align one arm of the goniometer with the fibula head and the other arm aligns with the lateral border of the heel and then we note if there's any tightness in the midfoot as well. Mm -hmm. The angle is recorded such that we call plantar grade zero degrees and if we have 10 degrees dorsiflexion, we would write that as plus 10 degrees. And if the maximum range was 10 degrees of plantar flexion only, that is the child couldn't get their foot to plantar grade, this would be recorded as minus 10 degrees. Mm, that's really helpful to know. And what does calf length management look like? And what would be your advice that you provide to families and therapists? Well, firstly, muscle length should be formally measured at least every four to six months. And then the mainstays of management are a daily stretching routine and the use of night splint AFOs, which are ankle foot orthoses that are worn overnight whilst the child's sleeping. And what type of calf stretches do you recommend? So for the really youngest children, so the boys aged between two and four years of age, we would recommend a passive stretch in lying or sitting. And this is quite good for parents getting used to the feel of their child's muscles. And it also gets the children used to that sensation of being stretched. Once children are a little older and more mature, we recommend a sustained weight-bearing stretch standing on a wedge board. And this was typically set at an angle of about 10 to 15 degrees. Mm -hmm. So for this stretch to really work, we recommend the child stands with their back against the wall and then their feet are on the wedge board and they should be parallel and the child needs to keep their heels down and their knees straight. Mm. So by standing against the wall, we're able to maintain the hip extension and really get the weight bearing going through the heels to optimise the stretch. Mm. Sometimes we will advise children to do the wedge stretch in their shoes if we find that the calcaneus needs to be controlled or if there's some breaching going on in the midfoot. So you can just get a bit better posture if they're in a good pair of footwear. It's a nice little handy hint. Yeah. And then just like teeth cleaning, stretching needs to occur regularly, so preferably daily. Mm. And you mentioned night splint AFOs. Can you tell us what you recommend in regards to these? So the main goal of wearing AFOs overnight is to slow the calf shortening in the setting of this degenerative muscle disease. So we prescribe the night AFOs so that they position the ankle joint in a neutral plantar grade position, which then allows the calf complex to rest in a relatively lengthened position overnight. Mm -hmm. And I think a common misunderstanding is that the night splint should apply a stretch. Can you imagine a child falling asleep whilst having their muscles stretched? Yeah, no. <laughs> no. So I think it really helps to remember the pathology of DMD, that by resting in a functional, relatively lengthened position, any of those fibrotic scarring changes that we talked about before that are laid down will be laid down at a functional length and then they're less likely to contribute to a problematic contracture in mm. the calf muscle. Mm. 
We do need to remember, however, though, that the night splint AFOs do not control the knee position. So their effect mainly targets the soleus length and you also need to do a complementary stretching program in order to optimise gastroc length. Mm. And how often do you recommend kids wear the night splint AFOs? And then do you find issues with compliance? Compliance with night splint AFO wear is very challenging mm. for many children and families and probably their therapists as well. <laughs> We recommend the splints to be worn all night and at least six out of seven nights per week. So, yeah, it's a big ask. It's a lot, yeah. Yeah, but physios can really help the families find individual strategies and routine to achieve an effective amount of night AFO wear for their child. Mm. I guess some of the things that we have found helpful in general terms for building compliance include, um, first of all, and this sounds really obvious, but make sure the AFOs really fit properly and are comfortable. And frequently this requires a return visit to the orthotist to get them adjusted and perhaps more than once. Mm. Then taking the time to really educate families about why you're recommending night AFOs. If families understand the purpose, then they're more likely to be able to follow through. Mm -hmm. If you review the bedroom temperature and the type of bed clothes that the child's sleeping under, then we can make sure the child's not getting too hot. Find the right socks to wear with the AFOs because that'll make it more comfortable. We sometimes put non-slip tape on the bottom of the AFOs for those kids who need to make trips to the toilet overnight. Yeah, interesting. And then the old-fashioned star chart helps many children and families work towards a compliance goal. Yeah, absolutely. And when is serial casting a consideration in calf length management? Yes, so serial castings are used when a child needs to not just maintain calf length or slow the shortening, but when we actually need to regain some additional length. And when we're thinking about that, the first thing is we need a clear, realistic goal before we undertake any casting. So examples of a goal might be so that the child can tolerate their night splints because they've got a bit too tight and they can't wear them all night anymore. Or perhaps to gain enough range of motion so that they can qualify for a clinical trial mm -hmm. or to reduce falls. Then with the casting, there are also a few important safety considerations. So in particular, the child needs to have adequate strength so that they can cope with the altered biomechanics that come with a change in muscle length. And they need to be able to still walk safely when they're in the casts because that active weight bearing is an important part of how they work. Mm. So in general, we would require that a child has a minimum of grade four muscle strength in their quads and no quads lag on formal testing. Mm -hmm. Finally, we want to consider whether serial casting is likely to be successful for that particular child. And factors which influence this include the degree of calf tightness and whether the soleus muscle is less affected than the gastroc. So for example, can we get to plantar grade if we've got the knee flexed? The end feel of the muscle is also considered. If there's some give or bounce when we have a feel of the calf range, this tells us that there is a degree of flexibility in the tissue that we can work with. And finally, for a lasting result, it's really important that there is compliance with follow-up stretching and wearing of night AFOs. Serial casting is a bit of an acquired skill, so we recommend that it's always undertaken by appropriately experienced teams of allied health clinicians. Absolutely. Now, I'm just curious, in other conditions like cerebral palsy, for example, children with tight calves might have soft tissue surgery. Is this a consideration for children with DMD? Yeah, great question, Sarah. Calf length surgery happens occasionally, but it's uncommon in ambulant children with DMD due to the associated weakness and therefore risks of making their walking worse. Ah. 
However, the older children who are non-ambulant, so full-time wheelchair users, frequently have calf lengthening to improve their seating position and comfort. Ah, thanks for clarifying that. Well, thank you so much, Kate. What would be your three key take-home messages? Okay, so I guess firstly, whilst the main issue in DMD is muscle weakness, tight calf muscles cause additional functional problems with walking and balance. Mm -hmm. Secondly, that calf length needs close monitoring as it can quickly change in children with DMD. And finally, it is really difficult to regain calf length once it's lost. So therefore, preventative strategies of stretching and night AFOs to maintain the calf muscle length are critical for children with DMD. Well, thank you, Kate, for talking today about calf length management in children with Duchenne muscular dystrophy. It was really interesting. Thanks, Sarah, for the opportunity and special thanks to Justine, Rachel, Katie and Kiara who've helped us develop this body of knowledge. Thanks. Thanks for listening. Please view the description section below for more information on this topic. The Education Hub is a collaboration between the Royal Children's Hospital and the University of Melbourne Department of Paediatrics and funded by the RCH Foundation.